I'd like to spend some time at the beginning of this message to renew some, uh, to review somewhat the general subject and uh, a portion of the first message related to the the rebellion of the nations against God. So I repeat, the general subject is about our being supplied. We need a supply from Christ in his heavenly ministry. In order to live an overcoming life, we could live in various ways. Even as believers, we could live somewhat like Demas, loving the present age. We have one foot in the church life, one foot in the world. Or we might try to live a highly ethical, moral, self-perfecting life. Or in these days, we may just be struggling to survive or to get through. Or on a higher level, we're seeking the Lord. Truly, to know what a God-man life is. And to live this way, to be trained to live this way. Then this leads us to a portion of our general subject, living an overcoming life. As a reminder to many, but as something new to others, the Greek word translate uh, overcoming is nekao. <coughs> and the Greek word for overcomer is nike. And yes, this is where we get Nike. So, some of you may have Nike shoes. And so, an overcomer is a conqueror. There's something that must be defeated. That's on the negative side. But even more important, on the positive side, there is much that needs to be fulfilled that the vast majority of the dear brothers and sisters throughout the earth don't even know about. We need to fulfill the desire of God's heart, accomplish his will, complete his eternal purpose, So we need a supply to this, not just one objective, uh, almost miraculous distribution of something from God, but a continual transmission, a continual dispensing from Christ who is the Lord of heaven and earth, who is our high priest, the heavenly minister, the shepherd of the flock, the great shepherd. We need moment by moment this supply 
because we are in the midst of chaos and lawlessness. And to use an illustration that may help reinforce our understanding of our present situation, the Lord promised to the overcomers that they would see the morning star. And Christ himself in Revelation 22 referred to himself as the morning star. When the Lord comes visibly at the end of the great tribulation, he will be the sun. The whole earth will have to recognize this is Christ Jesus. But the overcomers, they will see the morning star. I don't know astronomy, that's for sure. But the morning star is shining at the darkest time. After midnight and before dawn. And so the Lord will be to the overcomers. This morning star. But all these overcoming believers will be living outwardly in thick darkness. The age will become more and more darkened. But we will live in another realm as children of light. So we are in the midst of this kind of situation. It may change outwardly for a period of time. Maybe something will happen to bring order in certain places. Maybe the results of the next election will bring in changes. We don't know. But as the end approaches and the great tribulation begins, we should not expect an easygoing, pleasant, relaxing environment to be in. And we can be supplied to live an overcoming life in the midst of the chaos and lawlessness by knowing Christ. And here I mean knowing is an experiential knowing, the kind that Paul mentioned in Philippians 3, that I may know him and, and to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. We have to begin with an objective knowledge of the word and of the ministry that opens the word. But then this needs to become an inner knowing that's an aspect of the new covenant. We will all know God. This is what is in 1 John 5.20. The Son of God has come and given us an understanding that we might know the true one, the true God. And based upon the proper knowing, we really experience Christ. And in this little 
conference of three messages, we're focusing on knowing and experiencing Christ as revealed in Psalm 2. Now yesterday, or for me it was yesterday, I'm not sure what was the preceding time for you, but in message one, we begin with the first verses of Psalm 2. Why are the nations in an uproar? And why do the peoples contemplate a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers sit in council together against Jehovah and against his anointed. Let's consider this, just for a few more minutes. Then we'll go through the outline for message two. It's understandable if we realize the effect of sin entering into human beings through Adam. It's the man who bears responsibility. He disobeyed willfully. And the element of Satan entered in and corrupted our whole nature, our body, our soul, our spirit was deadened. Then collectively, we see in Genesis, for the most part, the society is lawless to the point God decided to judge the whole human race, except for a few, and have a new beginning. And when he had the new beginning with Noah and his family, God established human government. So we need to recognize human government is established by God so that there's some semblance, some degree of order that we can live in a way that enables us to take care of our human needs and responsibilities and then seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But what would cause the peoples, the nations, and now I'd like to use the word nations to, in our understanding, the countries, all the people, what would cause this mass collective rebellion against Jehovah, the I am, and against his anointed. We need to understand. And Psalm 82 helps us. I can't read that now. I just refer to it. Is that the word Hebrew Elohim God's is applied to the rebellious angels or we may say to the pagan gods that were worshipped that were really demons that these evil powers are behind 
the world situation to a very great extent. We know from Daniel 10, I mentioned this, that there's an angel over Persia resisting Michael, the the angel. We know from Ephesians 6, our warfare is not with blood and flesh. It's with the principalities and powers, the forces of darkness. This is what is behind the rebellion, the lawlessness, the opposition mentioned here initially. It's unfolded more clearly through the Bible. It's unfolded here initially in Psalm 2. So as we are facing the political situation, the social situation, the environment, the lawlessness, we need to realize there's something more than human here. There is something in the unseen realm. The evil forces in the heavenlies, in Satan's kingdom, are manipulating, are directing, are leading, are causing so much of the chaos, lawlessness, and rebellion. And it is now more and more expanding. Even in the United States, we have to be alert and awake. Direct opposite to believers, to churches. Probably you have not heard, maybe you did hear. During the riotous time, some weeks ago in Atlanta, someone tried and someone did set fire to the meeting hall of the church in Atlanta. The intention was to burn it down. That didn't happen, that there was much damage. And prior to that, or along with that, the doors and windows were smeared with Just, I don't want to even mention with what. What is behind this? This is the world situation. This is the present situation. It varies from place to place in the United States. But yes, look at Portland. More than 60 nights of protest. Again, shooting, arson, rioting. Again, I'm just illustrating. I'm not trying to immerse ourselves into the present situation. Here we are. Then there's the pandemic. Who is speaking accurately the scientific truth? Why are there different opinions? There's so much confusion. Worry, concern, panic, fear. And I have the burden 
to present this conf- the message in this conference concerning there's a supply, a marvelous, bountiful, heavenly supply to us so that we may live an overcoming life in the midst of this. And remember, the overcoming life is not only to be victorious over this negative thing or that negative thing. The overcomers do God's will. They care for the body. They are living for God's purpose. They are carrying out at the end of this age what is on the Lord's heart. Now we come to the outline for message two. And this brings us into seeing the divine revelation of Christ in God's economy as presented in Psalms 2. So the first word in the title is seeing. And we need to exercise. Exercise our spirit And that involves, of course, our conscience for it to be clean and pure. Then to exercise the intuition function, to perceive, to know the unseen spiritual things. Then to exercise the function of fellowship to have direct contact, to be participating in what we have seen. So there is a revelation in Psalm 2. And as we will see, we use Scripture to interpret and understand Scripture. And we understand Psalm 2 in the light of the New Testament. The divine revelation of Christ in God's economy is here. Point one says, here meaning in Psalm 2. In Psalm 2, 2, God came in to declare that Christ was his anointed. Again, I read, the kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers sit in council together against Jehovah and against his anointed. So when the Lord, when God interrupts, he makes definite mention of Christ as his anointed. What is going on in the earth through lawless human beings that are instruments of the evil powers. And there are many such instruments in our country, in the media, in the entertainment ministry, in government, on certain courts, in certain companies. What is behind Google? What is behind Facebook? 
Do the heavens rule that? So there's much counsel, a plan, how we will carry this out. And then God's response is, my anointed. Someone has been appointed and anointed. My beloved son, the father would say, to carry out the purpose for which we created the heavens and the earth, the purpose for which we created human beings with a spirit. And the anointed one has been appointed to do all that is necessary to deal with every negative thing, including the enemy and his kingdom, and to fulfill God's purpose. And so our attention is drawn to a most wonderful person. This is the first major step in our being supplied. It's turning to a person looking away. So much is drawing our attention. We need to be aware of it. But we're not held by it. We look away. We need to know Christ as God's anointed. A, in his divinity, Christ was anointed by God in eternity to be the Messiah, Christ, the anointed one. We believe, based upon certain scriptures, in eternity past, before anything, not even the angels, was created, there was a council among the Godhead. And the Son, the eternal, only begotten Son of God, was appointed and anointed to be the Christ. Christ, the Messiah, that's the anointed one. And this anointing began in eternity. Then B brings us into time. Christ came in his incarnation as the anointed one to accomplish God's eternal plan. If we have a proper heart and spirit like Paul had in Philippians 1 when he rejoiced that Christ was preached, no matter how. We should rejoice about hearing anyone being saved and experiencing the forgiveness of sins and being born of God. But sadly, among the tens of millions of real Christians on the earth, the knowledge of Christ's person and work is quite limited. Some would say Christ came in incarnation as the anointed one 
simply to die for our sins so that we may go to heaven when we die. This is the basic gospel of many. Again, I say, if someone is saved, we're happy for them. But Christ came to accomplish God's plan, God's purpose, God's will. He said, I will build my church. In order to accomplish God's plan, there must be redemption. We need to be reconciled to God through the death of Christ. But that opens the way for us to have the life of God, to live for his purpose. C continues, in his humanity, Christ was anointed again in time at his baptism for his ministry mainly on the earth. For 30 years, he lived in Nazareth in a despised area of the land, in poverty. We know his parents, when he was born, they could only bring little birds as the offering. He had four brothers and sisters. He worked as a carpenter. Then, at about the age of 30, he began his ministry for three and a half years. And how did he begin? He went to John the Baptist and said, in order to fulfill righteousness, I'm here to be baptized. And as he was in the water, having been raised up, the Spirit descended upon him. He already had the Spirit within him from the time of conception. That was his anointing to accomplish the work assigned to him by God the Father. The appointed one is always and only the anointed one. We need to know Christ and experience Christ as the appointed one, as the anointed one. I'm still learning this, I say sincerely, not with false humility. But light broke in when I realized the all-inclusive Christ is appointed to be everything, to do everything, to accomplish everything. So I'm not here to try to do something for God. Only Christ is for God. Only Christ purely lives for God. We need to learn to let him live in us so that he living in us does God's will. He is the one appointed to give a conference. He's the one appointed to oversee a church. He's the one appointed to care for saints. He's the one appointed to be a worker. 
And we are attached to him. We are one with him. This is a wonderful reality. Then D, in his resurrection, Christ became the life-giving spirit for the purpose of being God's anointed. He's now in another stage. And in his ascension, he was made both Lord and Christ, becoming God's anointed in an official way to carry out God's commission, mainly in his heavenly ministry. So we may say that the Lord's ascension that led to his enthronement was his inauguration as Lord and Christ. We know that in the first Tuesday in November, there will be an election. Then always after a presidential election, the man or woman is called president-elect. There needs to be the inauguration. Then that's an official endorsement that this is your position, this is your responsibility. Proceed. So Christ was inaugurated into his heavenly ministry. And now in this heavenly ministry, he is still the anointed one. And amazingly, the rebellious nations on earth are opposing, they dare to oppose this anointed one. They are anti-Christ. It should be no surprise then, according to Revelation 13, that with the Antichrist, there will be the ultimate, consummate rebellion against Jehovah God and Christ the Anointed One. Our society, the whole earth, is moving in this direction. And here we are, in the midst of it, beginning to see a vision of Christ as the Anointed One. We want to experience Him. We know from 1 John, we all have an anointing. Christ is first the Anointed One, then in relation to the body and the priesthood, He's the Anointing One, and as the life-giving Spirit in us, He's the Anointing. We need the Anointed One, the Anointing One, the One who is the Anointing, to be real to us. Point two, Psalms 2, 4-6 through six is a de- God's declaration concerning Christ. I'd like to have the verses fresh before us, so I read them again. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord has them in derision. 
Then he will speak to them in his anger. And in his burning wrath, he will terrify them. But I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. This is a very serious matter. The ungodly pay no attention to it. There will be the divine anger, burning wrath. Burning wrath will be coming to this rebellious earth. The rebellious nations will be terrified. But the crucial matter here is God saying, I have installed my king. There is a king who rules with authority, with absolute righteousness and justice and equity. And he's upon Zion, my holy mountain. Now let's look into this portion of the outline. Again, God deals with the situation first by indicating his own feeling, then by again pointing to Christ as his king. He's not only the anointed one to fulfill his plan, he's the king with absolute authority to rule. A, in his ascension, Christ was installed as God's king for God's kingdom. This has been accomplished. We need to realize, according to many New Testament verses, we have been born of God born of the Spirit and of water, and not only see the kingdom of God as a realm of life, we have entered into the kingdom. You read Revelation 1.5 and chapter 5, verse 10. We see that Christ has made us a kingdom. To be in the genuine church life according to the New Testament, is to be in the kingdom of God. And this whole, the whole country now, in the U.S., is desperately concerned, excited. What about the president? Will there be a different person, the same person? In four years, we'll do this again? To tell you the truth, I am far more focused on the king than on the president or who will be the president a year from now. The king rules over all presidents, all prime ministers, all leaders. There is a king we need to know our Lord Jesus as the King. 
in his kingdom. B says, God proclaimed that he had installed Christ upon Mount Zion, not upon Mount Sinai. So we are not here living under the law, trying by fleshly effort to please God. We are in the New Testament, under the New Covenant. And when you have time, you read the scriptures there from Hebrews 12. We have come to Mount Zion, the heavenly Zion. This is where we are. This may sound strange to almost all of us. And I say again, I'm still learning, still seeking. But Hebrews 12 doesn't say you will come sometime in the future. When you came into the New Testament, economy of God, when you came into the, the genuine church life, came out of religion, you came to Mount Zion. One Mount Sinai was the place where the law was given. Mount Sinai in the heavens is the place where Christ is today in his ascension. Yes, Mount Zion is in the heavens. But we know from Hebrews and various portions of the Bible that Christ is the heavenly ladder joining the house of God to the heavens. And we come to Mount Zion through this ladder Mount Zion is in the heavens, but in reality and practicality and experientially, we have come to Mount Zion in the church life, in the Lord's recovery. It took me a while to realize, but when I left completely, when I left organized Christianity as a religion completely, Never to consider any part of it again, any sect, any denomination. And was led into the Lord's recovery. It took me a while to realize where I was. This is Mount Zion. And here we are under the ministry of Christ in his ascension. Two under B. The New Testament believers have come not to Mount Sinai, but to Mount Zion. There should not be a Mount Sinai in any local church. Sadly, I mention this because sadly, in actuality, certain brothers have been Lawgivers. They've been authoritarian. This is sad. We're not at Mount Sinai. We are at Mount Zion. And here we have the church, the body of Christ, and God's economy for God's testimony. 
As I'm sharing this with you, I have the thought and the feeling that we may all need a fresh vision of the local churches as local expressions of the one unique universal body of Christ. We did not leave one religion to come to another. And we will not allow the church to become part of a religious system. We're in Mount Zion under the ministry of Christ. And this is where we have the church. How we are supplied here. How we are ministered to here. How we engage in the warfare corporately here. And here we have the body of Christ. What a burden there is in the Lord's ministry, even now, that we would know the body, live in the reality of the body, to live a life of blending that brings us into the reality of the body. And here, we know God's economy for God's testimony. As some of you know, I had a certain kind of rigorous theological education, and in human eyes, I excelled. But eventually, I rejected it all. It was just done. The things that were gained to me, I rejected them. Instead, I see God's economy. Only here. What a blessing to be here. Not just having a routine church life, but being under the king, to being in the body, to live out God's economy. Roman 3, Psalm 2, 7 through 9 is the declaration of Christ himself. Again, I read, I will recount the decree of Jehovah. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give the nations as your inheritance and the limits of the earth as your possession. You will break them with an iron rod. You will shatter them like a potter's vessel. We need to Pray these words. We need Jeremiah fifteen sixteen. Your words were found. What words we find here? We need to eat them. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. We'll read the outline. The outline will speak for itself. And when that happened... And the son was to ask God, 
I will give the nations as your inheritance. What is now the United States, China, Brazil, North and South Korea, Bulgaria, Australia, Iceland, the UK, France, Thailand. They will all be the Lord's. All the ethnic groups, all the races that will be on earth in the coming age of the kingdom will be the Lord's. And the limits of the earth as your possession. This is going to be fulfilled. We are here in the Lord's recovery, experiencing Christ, according to Psalm 2, to open the way. On the one hand, Christ is the way for us to the Father. Now, in Christ and through Christ as the way, we are for Christ, the way for Christ to return to the earth and the whole earth will be his. Then he says to the nations, this will happen. They will be broken with an iron rod and shattered like a potter's vessel. This manifestation of the authority of the king of God's righteousness in his government will be manifested. I fear for those persons who ignited the fire in the back of the meeting hall of the church in Atlantic, in Atlanta. Maybe they're hidden, but not from God. I'm using just an individual or a small group of persons. Whole countries, world leaders, government officials, all will be under this rod of iron. Now we go through this section. Point A. Verse 7 is quoted by the Apostle Paul in Acts 13.33, indicating that Psalm 2.7 refers to Christ's resurrection. We know from Acts that when Ananias went to Saul of Tarsus, whom we'll call and know as Paul, when he went to him to shepherd him, and direct him to be baptized, he told him, Ananias told Paul, the God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see, to hear the voice of the righteous one. Paul received direct revelation from God And part of this revelation was to make the connection between Psalm 2-7 and Acts 13-33 
Paul would say, when was Christ begotten as God's son with his humanity? On the day of his resurrection. This is a great light. Please don't take this for granted. This is one of the greatest truths released into the Lord's recovery through the ministry of the age. And the points of the outline will speak to this. One, Paul was able to see the Lord's resurrection in Psalm 2-7. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. He was the only begotten son. We know from John 3-16, John 1-18. That's eternal. But he was begotten in another way with his humanity. That took place through his resurrection. Two, Paul applied the word today to the day of the Lord's resurrection. This application of Psalm 2-7 to the resurrection of Christ means that Christ's resurrection was his birth as the Son of God. Now, some who are hearing this for the first time might be startled, may be shocked. And we owe it to you, even though time is limited, but others around you can help you more than I can in this the time allocated for this message. How was resurrection a birth for the Son of God? Well, when you have time, and I recommend the recovery version, carefully read and pray Romans 1, verses 3 and 4. And Paul says, he's speaking of concerning Christ as the seed, the descendant of David. That means he was a man in the flesh. A created human being without sin. But in his resurrection, he was designated the son of God. What does this mean? It means that in his resurrection, Christ, the only begotten Son of God, eternally and now and forever in the Godhead, and Christ, the Son of Man through incarnation, became the Son of God in a second way. According to Romans 8.29, He's now the firstborn son. That means there are other sons, the believers. When he was resurrected, the Lord's humanity was deified in the sense it was brought into his sonship. He became the Son of God, not only with divinity, but also with humanity. This is a great truth. 
So that's why A says the resurrection of Christ was his birth. Little B, Christ the Son of Man was born to be the Son of God through being raised from the dead. So this is central to our being supplied to be overcoming. This wonderful Christ is the overcomer, other scriptures reveal. We are becoming the many sons of God in him, having God's life and nature. This enables us to live an overcoming God-man life. See, God's raising Jesus from the dead was his begetting of him to be his son. To repeat, in eternity, Christ was, is, and always will be the only begotten son in the Godhead. No brothers. But in God's economy involving incarnation, human living, crucifixion, and resurrection. Christ became the Son of God in a second way, with humanity mingled with his divinity, with his humanity brought into the divine sonship. He's the firstborn son because there will be many other sons. B. After being cut off, crucified, Christ, God's anointed one was resurrected to be begotten in his humanity as the firstborn son of God. By resurrection, Christ brought his humanity into the divine sonship and was designated the Son of God with his humanity. Some theologians argue, oh, that designation was simply the proof that Christ was the only begotten Son. But that is not what the scripture is saying. He is designated the Son of God as the firstborn son with his humanity. His resurrection was his birth as God's firstborn son. So in the midst of today's chaos, rebellion, and lawlessness, we need to know and experience Christ as the firstborn born son of god and this is and realize that according to romans 8 we are gradually becoming the reproduction of this firstborn son romans 8 29 he will be the firstborn among many brothers and the word brothers there in the New Testament includes female and male believers. 
just as the bride includes male and female believers. This is a great light. This is part of the victory. And here I would inject this. Let's realize that the problems in this universe in the spiritual realm with Satan's kingdom in the air with angels who followed him to rebel and become his subservient powers and the sin and lawlessness on the earth. These were all caused by creatures. God himself as God will not deal directly with the rebellious angels, the rebellious humans. Man must do this. We were created to express God and exercise dominion over the earth. So it is the son of man who is now the firstborn son. He is the one who defeated the enemy. He is the one, according to the end of 1 Peter 3, to whom all principalities and powers They are subjected to him. The son of man has all the authority in heaven and on earth. He is the one that is dealing with the chaos, the rebellion, the confusion, the lawlessness. And we are his brothers in the process of growing in life to become sons of God. And we need to know him and experience him in the midst of this present situation. Now the subpoints under one. Before his incarnation, Christ already was the Son of God, the only begotten Son. B, by incarnation, God put on an element, the human flesh, which had nothing to do with divinity. That part of him needed to be sanctified and uplifted by passing through death and resurrection. By resurrection, his human nature was sanctified, uplifted, and transformed. Hence, by resurrection, he was designated the Son of God with his humanity. And now as the Son of God, he possesses humanity as well as divinity. We need to know him in this. And my brothers and sisters, we need to realize something and touch something, even now. The crucial factor to Christ being the firstborn son, is resurrection. In John 20, when Mary would not leave the empty tomb, she wanted to see the Lord. And she was the first one to see him and to hear from him. And he said, I ascend to my Father 
and your father, to my God and your God. How can the Lord's father be our father? The answer is in 1 Peter 1.3. When Christ was resurrected, we were regenerated in his resurrection. Then the Lord said to Mary, go to my brothers. But we know earlier in that gospel, he's the only begotten son. How can the only begotten son have brothers? He can't in the Godhead. But the firstborn son in God's economy can and does have regenerated believers as his brothers. Small d, God is using such a Christ, the firstborn son, as the producer and as the prototype, the model to produce his many sons. This is something we all need to be experiencing through organic salvation, being saved in life, according to Romans 5.10. Until we are conformed to his image, we all express the firstborn son. But he is unique because he has the Godhead and we will never have the Godhead. He will be an object of worship we will never be an object of worship. But we are the same as he is in life and nature. In the midst of our present circumstances, I believe it's in the Lord's heart that organic salvation with growth in life and reigning in life will not only increase in us, but intensify in us. Otherwise, we're just surviving like everybody else on earth, just getting through, gritting our teeth, trying to tough it out. How sad for all these months to go by without a real spiritual development of our being transformed into the same image. 2 Corinthians 3.18 Being conformed to the same image. So God is producing many sons. These many sons in Romans 8 are the members of the body in Romans 12. All this is part of God's economy. Point two, through the same resurrection, all his believers were born with him to be his many brothers, the many sons of God. And I referred to three of these verses. Now I refer to Hebrews 2.10 that says that God the Father is bringing many sons into glory. And our brother Nee coined this word sunized. We are being sunized. 
our wise God, according to Romans 8.28, is causing all things to work together for good. And that good is our being sunized. For millions, even billions of people on earth, there is little or no positive gain as a result of the sufferings we're going through. But with us, there may and there should be a marvelous gain, the increase of Christ, more experience of salvation in life, reigning in life, being transformed from glory to glory. There should be more glory now in August than when the matter broke out in March. In these months, every day, every week counts. And the Lord is supplying us for this reproduction of the firstborn son, the anointed one, the appointed one, to deal with this rebellion. Now we close with two small points in about five minutes. See, Christ has been given the nations as his inheritance and the limits of the earth as his possession. Right now, the enemy has usurped the earth. Only when the Lord returns with his overcomers will he receive his inheritance. God created the earth, so it was his. And when Christ died, he redeemed the earth, therefore it is his. And we need to be trained along with him to realize Christ will inherit all the nations. We should pray for this. Lord, the earth is the Lord's. Lord, come, receive your inheritance. There are no limits. The limits of the earth are your possession. We call out to you. We don't agree with the enemies usurping. We don't agree with the evil powers are doing through human vessels and agents who are anti-God. We are here for your economy, your will, your purpose, your heart's desire. Continue your work in us. Make us ready for the end of the age, the consummation of the age. Make us rapture ready as your overcomers. Then the last point, Christ will rule the nations in his kingdom with an iron rod. I read Psalms 2.9. In Revelation 2.26-27, the Lord says to the overcomers, you will shepherd the nations with an iron rod. And Revelation 19.15 tells us the Lord when he comes will shepherd the nations with an iron rod. First, according to Psalm 
the Lord will need to break with the iron rod, to break rebellion and just shatter the human vessels that had just been satanified, been one with the enemy to the uttermost. Then there will be a thousand year reign in righteousness. And there will need to be much subduing throughout the whole earth. So there will be ruling with a rod of iron. But the emphasis is this. In Revelation 12, 5, in 2, 26 and 27, in 1915, the same emphasis. Shepherding with an iron rod. Shepherding with an iron rod. We need to learn this. In the Lord's recovery, as released recently in a message, there needs to be mutual shepherding. The iron rod is for the enemy. But as we are learning to live under the king, under his heavenly ministry, under his authority. And as we learn to express him and represent him by being transformed, we will know what it is to be under authority and we will be trained to represent authority. Then as overcomers, by the Lord's grace, we say this in hope, we will have the iron rod. We will not be breaking. We will not be smashing. But we will be shepherding. Not just by even the highest kindness and tenderheartedness. But with authority. With an iron rod. As I finish now, there is in me, and I hope and pray, at least I'm hoping now, and look to the Lord to pray that there will be in all of us a deep assurance. Our wise, sovereign God has his way to deal with the rebellious nations and the kingdom of Satan behind the lawlessness and chaos. He has his way and he has his time to carry out his will. And we are here for his will to be done in and regarding this present situation. But we also more and more agree with him. Lord, may your will be done in your way and in your time. Lord, regarding the present situation in the United States, all that's happening in so many cities, all the evil things taking place through the media, all that's going on regarding the election, I can say at least my prayer is, Lord, your will be done in 2020 in the United States. Your will be done in this situation advance toward the consummation of the age. Lord, open up to us 
Psalm 2 as never before. Lord, we want to know you and experience you as Christ presented in this psalm and to become your reproduction, your matured, full-grown sons, to be your body, your bride, and to reign with you in the kingdom. This is the divine revelation of Christ in God's economy as presented in Psalm 2. In message three, our last word, we will see how this rich content needs to be proclaimed as the gospel of God throughout the earth. May the Lord be with you. May he give you prayers with the word to absorb what's in his heart, what he's been endeavoring to speak through a frail human vessel. We're not here having a Bible study. We're not here just rehashing the life study or the crystallization study. This I sincerely believe. There's a word from the Lord through his word to supply us to live an overcoming life in the midst of the present chaos and lawlessness. What a wonderful Lord we have. What a faithful God we have. Praise Him. Amen.